As a park ranger, I've always loved exploring the wilderness, and I've seen some strange things over the years. But nothing could have prepared me for what I found deep in the heart of the park. It was a hot summer day, and I was on patrol, making my way through a dense thicket of trees when I stumbled upon a small town. It was unlike anything I had ever seen before, and at first, I thought I had stumbled upon some sort of movie set. The buildings were small and rustic, made of weathered wood and surrounded by gardens filled with herbs and vegetables. The people who lived there were Native Americans, and they all seemed to be busy with their daily tasks. They stopped and looked at me, as if they were surprised to see me there. As I approached, I was greeted by a man who introduced himself as the leader of the community. He explained that they had been living there for generations, in harmony with nature and each other. They had no interest in the outside world, and preferred to keep to themselves. I was fascinated by their way of life, and I spent the next few hours talking to the locals and learning about their customs and traditions. But as the sun began to set, they started to warn me about something I had never heard of before, the Wendigo. They told me that the Wendigo was a dangerous creature that roamed the deep woods, preying on anyone who was foolish enough to venture into its territory. They warned me to stay away from the woods at night, and to always be on the lookout for any signs of the creature. I didn't believe them, of course. I had seen my fair share of dangerous animals in the park, but I had never heard of anything like the Wendigo. I thanked them for their hospitality and went on my way, convinced that they were just trying to scare me. As I made my way back to the ranger station, the sun had already set, and the woods were shrouded in darkness. I heard strange noises coming from the trees, and I could feel a sense of unease creeping up on me. It was as if the forest itself was alive and watching me. And then, out of nowhere, I saw it. A creature that was unlike anything I had ever seen before. It was tall and emaciated, with long, bony limbs and piercing red eyes. It stood there, watching me, before disappearing into the woods. I was terrified. I had never felt so alone and vulnerable in my life. I tried to run, but I quickly realized that I was hopelessly lost. The woods seemed to stretch out in all directions, and I had no idea which way to go. As the night wore on, the creature continued to haunt me, appearing and disappearing as if toying with me. I was cold, hungry, and scared out of my mind. And then, just as suddenly as it had started, it was over. The sun began to rise, and the creature was gone. When I finally made it back to the ranger station, I was a mess. I had never been so scared in my life, and I knew that I had come dangerously close to becoming the Wendigo's next victim. I tried to tell my colleagues what had happened, but they didn't believe me. They thought I was just tired and imagining things. But I knew what I had seen. And I knew that I would never forget the terror that I had experienced in those woods. From that day on, I made sure to listen to the warnings of the locals, and to always be on the lookout for any signs of danger. Because in the deep woods of the park, you never know what might be lurking just beyond the trees. I haven't spoken about these events to anyone since they've happened to me over a decade ago, honestly closer to 15 years. I am now a 30-year-old man and what I experienced in Red Ash, Carryville, Tennessee happened to me when I was about 15 or 16 years old. 
Red Ash is a small area off Interstate 75 running through Campbell County, Tennessee, the county where I was born and raised and still reside in now. Red Ash was established over a hundred years ago as a little mining province, but is now defined as the land between Red Ash Cemetery and Red Ash Baptist Church off of Old Tennessee Highway 63, and if you go googling it you'll see that it has a reputation of arguably being one of the most haunted places in Tennessee. From ghosts of miners, goatmen, and even murdered witches, if you read long and deep enough, you'll see there's lots of strange happenings around this area. But I am not here to tell you I saw a seven-foot-tall man with the head of a goat and hoof and feet standing at the base of a train track tussle. But what I saw I still to this day can't explain. About 15 years ago, a few friends and I, one guy who was a couple years older than myself and two lady friends of ours, were driving around one Saturday night looking to find something to get into in our small, quiet town. So naturally, of course, we came to the conclusion to do what all the teenage kids do that grow up in our county. We decided to go to Red Ash and test some of the legends and boy are there a lot of them. But those are stories for a different page, this one isn't about urban legends. This is about what I actually saw. We went to a set of train tracks that if you park on and turn your vehicle off that, somehow, the car will start to rock and gently roll off the tracks. That didn't work for us. So we decided to head up the road to the cemetery to tell ghost stories. On the ride to the cemetery, one of the girls with us said her grandpa had told her on one of the unnamed dirt roads in Red Ash is an old, abandoned graveyard where a lady was murdered and buried almost 200 years ago for supposedly being a witch. We thought what the hell and decided to go looking for this graveyard to see if we could find the unmarked grave. We turned down one dirt road barely wide enough for my friend's small car and drove down it for a few minutes when all of a sudden were hit with blue lights behind us. And when I say all of a sudden, I mean it. Now, mind you it was around midnight and pretty dark out, but we didn't see headlights or anything trailing behind us. Just the burst of blue police lights. My friend pulls off the road as much as possible, and the cop pulls behind us and gets out of his cruiser and walks to the door. My friend already has his window down. It's late July and 80 degrees at night with no AC in his car, and he is waiting to be asked for his license and registration. The cop doesn't ask for. He walks up and looks through the roll-down window at my friend and says, You guys shouldn't be here. It's dangerous and a bad place. Please leave. Now I'm not sure about you guys, but hearing a cop say shouldn't and please isn't normal. Usually, we hear can't and now. But that's what he said and it threw my friend off and he kind of stammered for words before the cop repeated himself, please tell me you'll turn around, you shouldn't be here. It's dangerous. This time, though, my friend said yes sir and the cop just turned around and walked back to his car, turned off his lights and drove around us, continuing on the road. That's when I noticed he wasn't driving one of the Tahoe's or Chargers they typically drove, but a Crown Vic and an old Crown Vic. An early 80s square body Crown Victoria car. It was so bizarre. But we didn't think much of it then. We just decided to head straight and follow him and turn around when he did. We followed him for a few seconds, up until he went up the hill on the dirt road and went around a curve. Once we got up there, past the curve, and we noticed he was gone. Couldn't see any signs of his vehicle or anything. He wasn't pulled over off the road, 
so we thought he might have been more familiar with the road and must have sped up to get to the end of it. So we followed the road for a couple more miles, no sign of the cop anywhere. Until we got to the end of the road, and it ended in a dead end. The cop was still nowhere to be found. No signs of him passing us, pulling off the road, which was barely wide enough for him to pass us while we were pulled off it earlier, and there were no roads connecting to this old dirt road. So many little weird things happened, and honestly, I still don't know what I saw or how to explain it. All I can say is that things are weird up there around Red Ash, and even now, I still listen to that cop it's dangerous up there, and I stay away from it. I decided to rent a cabin way up in northern Michigan for a week with my sister Tanya. My sister is a writer and this was also what she needed because she hadn't written in two weeks. So off we went. It was late May and still quite chilly, but we didn't care about the weather because we weren't there for sunbathing on the beach. The cottage was rustic but recently redone and it was located on a small pond but was surrounded by thick woods. Our cottage was the last one down a long dirt road. The cottage owner had put in several really nice long trails because if not then nobody was enjoying the woods. The first day we were unloading our luggage from the car and a young guy and his mom walked up the driveway. They introduced themselves and said they owned the house a little way down the road and they went for walks a few times a week for exercise past the cottage. The mother Linda mentioned that her husband had passed away a few years earlier and of course, I told her that I lost my husband Josh a few months earlier as well. Linda looked so sad for me but her son Brendan had a smirk on his face which really creeped me out. Linda seemed to notice this as well and said, okay let's leave these ladies to unpack and then said their goodbyes. I was unnerved by the way Brendan looked at me and I noticed he kept looking back at me as they walked away. On the first day, we just hung around the cabin. The next day I went for a walk alone so Tanya could get some writing done. I chose the path the owner said was the easiest. I had been walking for 10 minutes when I heard the sound of a small animal moving through the underbrush maybe something the size of a rabbit. So I stopped to listen and when I stopped the rustling stopped. I happened to glance back and I saw the shape of a human standing behind the thicket. I thought it was Brandon so I turned and kept walking. I was almost halfway and I'd see a tree about 30 feet in front of me but completely surrounded by the same thicket. I saw what again I perceived to be a naked Brandon. I couldn't see clearly because he was shrouded in darkness but I saw him perched on the bottom limb of a tree just crouched there staring at me. I could see one hand holding the limb he was crouched on and his other arm was wrapped around the tree trunk. But now that I look back and I know what I was looking at. I can't believe I thought it was Brandon. A day or two later I was finally able to pull Tanya away from her laptop and we were on the porch to watch the sunset. We distinctly heard a wolf howl from at least the other side of the pond. We agreed it was really close but we weren't too worried. We were more worried about the mother bears as we were told by Linda and the cabin owner that we needed to keep the bear spray on us at all times because the cubs were very young and the mothers were really protective. About 10 minutes later we heard an animal screaming. Oh my gosh, we were both saying and covering our ears. Tanya was saying this is too close to nature for me. Then Tanya went in to use the bathroom and when she came back she said what is that and pointed to the wood line. 
I saw the shrub shaking then an animal came out of the woods with a baby deer hanging from its mouth. The baby wasn't just a newborn. We looked at pictures showing various ages and it was probably two weeks old approximately. We are not country girls so please don't get on me for being wrong. Anyway, Tanya said, no, I don't want to see this and she went inside. I sat looking at this animal. I was fairly certain the fawn was already dead or I would have done something at least I'd like to think I would have. What? I don't know. But regardless I was trying to figure out what this animal was. It was walking into the open from the woods. It dropped the fawn from its mouth then it started sniffing it. I was fairly certain that this was a very large wolf with a case of the mange because its hair was thick around the neck like a lion's mane and it was thin to bare in spots. Its rear end was bald and I didn't even see a tail. I noticed it looked almost deformed because the back end sat way lower than the front. The animal seemed almost mesmerized by the fawn. It stared and sniffed at it, then it pushed it forward or over by using its nose. Then it picked it up by the mouth and started shaking it side to side viciously. Then it started biting into the midsection and when it lifted its head to chew you could clearly see intestines hanging out of its mouth. Now I believe I let out a sound at that point because it looked at me surprised and then ran about 10 feet to the large tree. It turned around and literally stood on its back legs. Oh my gosh! I realized this was the thing I saw up in the tree. I could clearly see the eyes were rusty colored and they were illuminated. They were glowing from the inside. It was starting to turn dusk. It just continued to stand there behind that tree. It seemed to be apprehensive a little, but it was staring at me and then it would look towards the fawn. At one point I thought I saw it lift its lip and the whole muscle started to vibrate like it was trying not to bare its teeth. Finally, it got down on all four feet and started walking slowly to the fawn. When it was almost there it swung its head in my direction and let out a low menacing growl. At the same time, it bared its teeth. This animal was at least 400 pounds. It could be even bigger, but I'm afraid that the naysayers will call me a liar. This animal was at least three to four times as big as my German Shepherd. All the way around its head was huge. But what really terrified me was when it sneered at me and went down for the fawn. Its teeth were at least three inches long, sharp, and jagged. When it got to the fawn it picked it up in its mouth and took off at a fast slope. We didn't leave for walks after that. We barely left the cabin. When we did leave the last day we drove over to that tree and I got out and stood beside where it stood and I can say without a doubt it was well over six and a half to seven and a half feet tall. We drove past Linda's house and on second thought I asked Tanya to turn back around. I wanted to tell them what we saw. Linda was genuinely concerned and seemed shocked to hear what we saw. She appreciated that we thought enough to stop. When we got home we called the landlord and he said straight away that we were warned to carry bear spray, so I just left it at that. I figured he thought we wanted our money back and that wasn't the case. So that's our story. I'm pretty sure it wasn't a Bigfoot. I was hiking a local, but rarely used trail a couple winters back. The sun was setting so the woods were starting to get dark, but no worries as I only had a couple miles left to get back to my car. 
I came to a spot in the trail where it winds down a rather steep, 40-foot high ledge. I stopped for a minute to gather myself and pick my route down the ledge when I spotted someone down below, near a small stream crossing about 50 feet from the bottom of the ledge. I couldn't see the person very well in the gathering darkness, but I noticed he appeared to be dressed head to foot in all white clothing. Unusual, but not all that weird I figured. I picked my way down the ledge, mostly facing I toward the rock as I went, so I didn't see the guy again until I was at the bottom. By that time I was close enough to see that he was not wearing all white clothing, he was in fact naked except for a pair of tidy witties and a fur hat with their flaps deployed. As soon as I saw him, he appeared to duck down behind a low mound. The trail went right where he was, so I proceeded forward because, you know, no big deal, right? After taking a few steps in his direction, I realized he was actually sitting in the stream. In his underwear. In the rapidly darkening woods. In winter, there was snow on the ground. Two miles from the nearest trailhead slash road. He finally looks over at me and says, you're probably wondering what I'm doing, right? Yeah, I was wondering about that. You okay? Yep. I'm doing one of those polar bear challenges next week and thought I should get some practice in beforehand. Okay. He climbs out of the stream and starts walking over to me. I don't know if this guy is legit or just a crazy person, so I start moving up the trail, toward a junction a very short distance past the creek crossing. I stop there for a minute to read the trail sign and verify I'm going the right way and he catches up to me. He gets a little closer to me than I'd like, him being basically naked and all, so I casually take a step back, and he promptly takes a step forward, closing the gap once again. Are you heading toward, road name? He says. I was, but didn't want him to know where I'm going as he's starting to freak me out a little bit, standing there in his underwear, dripping wet. No. I tell him, I'm heading the other way, toward, other road. That's a long way. Yeah, I'm training for a long snow hike and trying to get some miles in. It's going to be dark soon, I could give you a ride to your car. No thanks, I was planning to be out late and have my headlamp with me. You sure? Yep. Thanks for the offer though. There's a long pause here, while we both study the trail sign, or pretend to, then he turns to me and says, you probably think I'm some kind of crazy person, don't you? Well, you were sitting naked in the stream in the middle of winter, I say jokingly. Yeah, I could see how that looks a bit odd. No worries, I've probably done some pretty odd things in my life. Yeah, like what? I didn't know what to say, as I wasn't sure I'd actually done anything that odd before, so I say, oh I don't know, I'm sure there's something. Anyway, I need to get moving. You sure you're okay? Yeah, I'm good. Hey, maybe I'll go that way, with you, and you could maybe give me a ride back to my car, okay? So there's no way I'm doing that, I just want to get away from this guy, who I suddenly notice is either really well hung, or is getting about a half a chub. Dude, you're naked and wet, it's literally freezing out, and it's five miles to the other end of the trail. You should probably just get back to your car and get some dry clothes on and warm up. Yeah, you're probably right. With that, he turns and starts jogging up the trail. Since I actually needed to go that way, 
I considered following him, after giving him a healthy head start, but couldn't shake the thought of him ducking off the trail and waiting for me to come by. So I hiked the other direction to a point where I could loop back to my car on a different trail. I was glad to finally see my car, by now it was around 8pm, and jumped in and locked the door before changing into my street shoes. I looked around to see if there were any cars parked nearby, but didn't see any. However, as I left the parking lot, I did see an older Jeep Cherokee parked along the road. I couldn't tell if anyone was in it, but didn't waste any time getting back to some place less remote. I am a park ranger, responsible for keeping the peace and ensuring the safety of all visitors in the national park. It was a beautiful day in the park, but little did I know that I was about to have the encounter of a lifetime. It was a calm and peaceful day in the park until I heard strange noises coming from a nearby clearing. I cautiously approached and was shocked to see a large, bigfoot-like creature. I had heard about these creatures before, but I never expected to actually see one in real life. I immediately called for backup and within minutes, a team of park rangers arrived on the scene. We were all in awe of the massive creature, but we knew we had to act quickly. We tried to get as close as possible to the Bigfoot, but it suddenly became aggressive and started attacking us. We quickly realized that we were no match for the creature and were forced to call in the government for help. A team of government agents arrived, armed with advanced weapons and technology, but the Bigfoot was still too powerful. Despite their efforts, the creature managed to escape into the wilderness. The government declared a state of emergency and a massive search and rescue operation was launched to find and capture the Bigfoot. They had to act fast, as it was becoming clear that the creature posed a serious threat to public safety. Weeks passed and the government finally managed to track down the Bigfoot. A team of highly trained agents confronted the creature, but things quickly took a tragic turn. The Bigfoot was cornered and, in a desperate act of self-defense, attacked the agents. The resulting violence was devastating and the Bigfoot was killed. The news of the attack and the tragic ending to the Bigfoot quickly spread, causing outrage among the public. People were shocked that such a magnificent creature had been killed and many felt that it was a waste of a unique and valuable life. As a park ranger, I was deeply saddened by the outcome of the incident. I couldn't help but wonder what could have been done differently to prevent such a tragedy. I realized that we still have much to learn about these creatures and that it's important to protect and preserve their habitats in order to ensure their survival. In the end, the tragedy of the Bigfoot was a wake-up call for all of us. It reminded us that we need to be more mindful of the impact that we have on the natural world and to work towards a more harmonious relationship with the creatures that share our planet. I will never forget the encounter that changed my life and the tragic end to the Bigfoot. It will always be a reminder of the importance of preserving and protecting our natural resources and wildlife. It was mid-November 2021 and me and about 10 friends were camping in the woods in the Sawtooth National Forest near Petite Lake. There were two groups of four people in two tents and one in a car and me and my buddy were in hammocks near the edge of the camp. It's about 1am and we all had been sleeping for about two hours. I wake up to my hammock mate panting extremely heavily and yelling my name. 
I am confused and get up and help him. He is paralyzed by fear he said that he had an extremely vivid dream that there was a black figure tall and slender trying to break into his car after he had seen this figure decapitate me and the rest of his friends. He said that he woke up to the figure near the car and saw all of our heads stuck on sticks throughout the camp. He proceeded, he said to click the car alarm button and the figure began to run circles around the car and the stop then dashed off extremely quickly into the woods. I was obviously freaked out at this point and I immediately felt very uneasy. But I told him it was just a bad dream and that he needs to go back to sleep. Him and I tried for about 5 minutes both stricken with fear at this point when we hear our friend in the tent begin to yell, No, no, don't take me. Side note, we had not awoken anyone else in the camp at this point. This freaked me and my body out quite a bit because we had no idea what was going on. We were also very vulnerable in our hammock by ourselves on the edge of our about 50 yard across camp. Our buddy's yells proceed to wake up most of the rest of the camp. And we find out that our friend in the car that my buddy said clicked the car alarm if was awake. So all of us scared and awake have a conversation about what is going on and the buddy in the car says that he heard scratching on the window and heard something pull the door. He also said that he had seen the black figure running around the car as well. We were all freaked at this point and decided to move into the same tent. Our friend with the dream also claimed a similar murder story to the friend in the hammock. The next morning we all talked and so many of us experienced what happened at night 6 in total that we determined that it must have been some sort of being that was giving us nightmares. We called it a Wendigo but we have no idea. Also we had friends that stayed at the same site about 6 months earlier and a few of them did notice weird things happening at camp at night like feelings of being watched or feeling of a being walking around their tent. Strange stuff in the Idaho mountains. What does this sound like and what do you all think? When I was 15, my parents made the decision that they wanted to build their own farmhouse in the southern pasture, doing away with the mistakes our old house had, and improving on a few concepts. I, being the mountain boy I was, was ecstatic. I no longer had to trudge half a mile to my trap line, a mile down, a mile back, and a half a mile to the house, and get ready for school. The trap line would be 200 yards from my front door. All big projects start somewhere, and ours started with water. See, we always had problems with iron water at our old house, it stained everything, changed how food tasted, and god forbid you had anything white. So dad borrowed a bulldozer and an excavator off of a friend for a few days, built a sturdy road down to the bottoms, and dug footers for the house, but first we had to see if we could get a good well on the property. It's well known that a certain sect of my family could witch water, and had an old drilling truck, but first, silver had to cross hands, a jug of good shine had to be shared, and the rest poured out afterwards, and me and my sister would see if we also had the gift. My cousins came down and checked the land with three things, a fresh fork peach limb, a pure silver pocket watch, and finally a set of heavy copper wires bent into an L. The peach limbs marked the prospects, the watch pole told the depth of the water, and the copper told of its purity. Us kids had to stay up on the hill till they were done, and one by one, we were called down and instructed how to find water, and mark it. My sister was down there about half an hour, and then I got the call. When I went down I was given four flags, instructed how to do it, and set out with a peach limb. 
or it pulled the hardest, I marked the spots while my dad and the cousins looked on from the truck. I was next given a pocket watch and told to tell them which one pulled the hardest. After that, I was given the copper tines and told to tell which one crossed the quickest. After much testing I came up with the one weaving down through our sugar maple patch where we made maple syrup. While apparently I was dead on and was congratulated by all attending of my gift. But I digress, onto the creepy part. The next day they brought the rig up, trimmed some trees so they could stand it up, and started drilling on my spot. At 50 feet they hit water unexpectedly, short job right? While dad had talked them into drilling a few holes in the creek through the bedrock so he could blast a few big holes in the creek for trout and a swimming hole. While he had already cleared out a road down to the creek and cleaned off a section of bedrock, diverted the creek to the other side and prepped them a spot to drill. The creek is probably 30 feet wide from bank to bank and is easily crossed dry footed in dog days, but never goes completely dry. Well, they take the rig down, drive it through the pasture, turn it around, and back it out on the bedrock. Dad took the doser and was clearing off a section on the other side of the pasture, and I was watching him for about an hour or two, when my cousins come running up to my dad, yelling for him to come and pull them back up the bank, they ain't drilling any more holes in the damned creek bed. Some words were exchanged, and Dad backed the doser down, hooked up to the rig, and dragged them back into the pasture. The weirdest thing was, they then set up the rig 50 yards from the creek and started drilling a test hole. When they got about four lengths down they pulled it up, and went back another 50 yards and drilled another, finally satisfied in what was going on. I on the other hand had walked around them, and walked down to the creek to where they had just drilled. See, Dad couldn't turn all the creek against the hillside, not enough backfill into much bedrock. What I seen was a drill hole down through the rock, with a small stream of water disappearing in it. Come to find out, they had hit an underground cavern at six feet and it just went. It extended about fifty yards out into our pasture, and maybe another forty yards beyond that. We had to rearrange where we were putting the house it came so far. We went back down to the creek with a tape measure. The tape measure maxed out, so we got a 100 feet tape and put it down, it maxed out. Got a spool of baler's twine, tied a rock to it, put it into the hole. We all sat there for half an hour while dad fed twine down into that hole off that spool. Finally he said F it, and cut the twine, it's too damn deep he said. He gingerly drove the dozer back into the creek and smoothed everything up, covering the hole, and that was it. Dad passed away seven years ago this October. I walked down to the creek and fished it this spring for a mess of brookies. The creek changed and scraped itself clean in a few sections this spring. One of the places it scraped clean was the bedrock where the hole is. Water is still flowing down that hole, it never filled up. I live on old native land in part of the Four Corners. Forty acres of very isolated property, and there are so many artifacts. Bones, arrowheads, worked rocks, etc. It's incredible. There are some cows that occasionally approach one side of the property line, and I like to go feed them with my siblings. Walk down to the fence with my sister, feeding the cows. I see this one that looks just... Utterly wrong. 
The angles are all wrong. The legs are slightly too long, it's too bony. Sickly palish color, weirdly angle joints. It was just wrong. My sister takes no notice of this cow, but it's watching me the whole time we feed the cows. As we turn to leave, I keep watching over my shoulder. And it stands up on two back hooves and sprints away, up and over the hill and into the distance. It was so quick, covered hundreds of feet in seconds. I was filling in at O'Hare Fire Station 2 on the July 4, 2022 weekend. We were outside in the patio area talking and watching the distant fireworks display. As we talked we heard what sounded like a very loud screeching noise. It sounded like the brakes on a large truck. We didn't pay it any mind because it was probably a semi or airport maintenance vehicle that was nearby. There is a cargo terminal within sight of the station so we didn't give it a second thought until we heard a series of clicks. Rapid, loud clicking followed by that sound again. It was then that one of the other guys saw something and said, WTF is that? We looked up to see a figure in the sky. It looked like a human with wings and it had a pair of bright orange eyes. One of the firefighters said it was the infamous Batman and said it was seen all over the airport and the surrounding suburbs. It was only visible for about five seconds before it flew out of sight toward the north. When I was seven or eight and my brother five or six our mom went to visit an old college friend somewhere in the Texas Hill Country. The house was totally filled with stuff, full-blown hoarder. My brother and I see a dry creek bed. We take off to explore and look for fossils, rocks, you name it. I remember it vividly. It was close to sunset. I had just found a small conical shell fossil and was admiring and inspecting it when the most frightening noise pierced every cell in my body. Mountain lion scream. I immediately look at my brother, his face had the expression of terror as did mine. I said we have to get out of here now. I ended up dropping my fossil as we ran back to the house as fast as possible. I will never forget that sound. A place way out in West Texas my wife and I camp at is riddled with mountain lion sign. Footprints everywhere and scat. After exploring and hiking this area I realized it is literally the perfect spot for them plenty of food, water, shelter and it's extremely remote and difficult to access. The spring that flows up out of the rock hole supports many large cottonwood trees, tall grasses and all the other desert plant species for the length of the canyon. It's not a place I would go for a nighttime stroll. Cats could ambush you with ease anytime you are walking in one of the thousands of arroyos. On the coast where I live bioluminescence lights up the surf during the summer when conditions are right. And when they are right the fishing is usually stellar. One night when the surf was calm as it can be my buddy and I were shark fishing. I was kayaking out of bait about 400,500 yards. Every paddle stroke was lighting up bright green, that night was one of the brightest bioluminescence shows I've seen. As I'm paddling and looking at the biolight show I'm creating I see something else lighting up the surface as well and heading straight towards me. In the bright moonlight I can see a dorsal fin cutting through the water. Ofu asterisk K. No, no, no this isn't happening. I'm a sitting duck, 
only a small knife and paddle to defend myself. I start paddling as fast as I can in hopes I can beat it to shore, impossible. As it gets nearer and near to the point that I'm about to have to wrestle a shark. I hear a blast of air, the exhale slash inhale of a dolphin. It turns a few feet away from me and heads off. I still paddled my ass back to shore in a hurry. We ended up catching some nice sharks that night. I've seen lights in the night sky on two different occasions that none of us that saw them can determine slash reason what they were. Pretty bizarre. Both instances the lights looked close as in well within the lower atmosphere. A few years ago I used to have to do a long drive from northern Illinois down to western Kentucky about twice a month. I had gotten to the point where I knew the drive like the back of my hand. Sometimes it was actually a lot better to make the drive early evening and do a bulk of the 9 hour drive through the night getting me there about January 30th 2am. No traffic and in the summer it was relaxing to drive with all the windows down. After crossing into Kentucky there was about 2 hours of road without even highway lights. But like I said I'd done it so many times before. One of my last trips I had been heading down that stretch and I had my brights on, in the distance on my driver's side of the shoulder I could see what I thought was a deer, got a little closer and I realized it was a wolf. Now I'm coming up on this and it's on all fours but its back had to be almost level with the roof of my sedan. I thought holy f that thing's huge. Now I'm doing probably 80 miles per hour and I swear we lock eyes. I can feel him looking directly at me. I'm getting closer and closer. Now I can actually see his teeth, I couldn't believe what I was seeing was an actual animal, then as I'm probably 50 feet from this thing about to pass it on the driver's side shoulder it stood up on two legs still staring directly into my eyes. I passed and the rest of the drive I tried to figure out what I had seen or should I loop back. I never told anyone that story because most people would say, oh it was late, your mind was messing with you, but still to this day I won't forget how long that stare down was. I can't help but think I didn't catch him by surprise. More like he wanted me to see him and if he really wanted to stop me he could have. This was my boyfriend's experience, not my own. He grew up in Mesa, Arizona. Really early in the morning when he was pretty young, he woke up and couldn't fall back asleep. He looked at the window of his bedroom, and there was a man-slash-wolf crouched down on the driveway facing the window. He described it like a man with a wolf-skin-slash-head on top of him. He went back to bed, still couldn't fall asleep, so he went back to the window and the creature was standing right there, with glowing eyes, peering into the window. He freaked out and crawled back into bed and just tried to go back to bed. Could have been a dream. I was 16 at the time. I was driving down a back road with my then boyfriend. He was asleep at the time. It was about 2 a.m. I was half asleep when I see a deer, but taller standing on its hind legs. I almost crap myself as I slam on the brakes. We made eye contact, my boyfriend woke up from the G-force. He sees it and says drive drive now, I'm in panic as I shift into reverse. I speed backward for about 5 miles. I stop because I hit something. 
its scream. Human-like, blood everywhere. I look in the rearview mirror. It was the same deer, but more humanly. We sped home and clean my truck the next day. I look in the cab of the truck and I see an eyeball and an antler. I didn't get any photos because my phone was at home. When I was a kid, I had a terrifying experience which although I have grown out of, I still remember it and it kind of bring me chills. One day I was sleeping and had the habit of covering my face while sleeping. I woke in the middle of the night somewhere between two or three hours, so I took the cover off cause it was hot ANS then I saw a huge dark figure with big horns standing in the middle of the room, I was terrified and screamed from the fear and immediately covered my face under the blanket which I stayed under crying from fear till morning, when I had the courage to take off the cover I was relieved that nothing was there. Anymore. I always thinking that maybe I am just imagining because your brain can play tricks on you in the darkness and I was specifically scared of the idea of ghosts and demons and was afraid to sleep alone as a kid, so maybe it was not real. But what I can tell you is that I was not dreaming that night and what I described is exactly what I saw. If any had any experiences like this share, it is good to talk about it so we can feel better move on because ever since that time I didn't experience any of that not even sleep paralysis, so whatever it is, it feeds over your fear or it is just a fearful kid's hallucination in the dark. This one happened to me in the early 2010s and admittedly did not happen on the Navajo reservation, but it did take place on another reservation nearby. One night me and a friend were chilling at his house playing games and decided to go out for some late night food. Being that it was past midnight the only option was the 24-hour McDonald's. After getting our food we decided to just cruise around the back roads for fun. The area we were driving wasn't well known to us since we were driving on another tribe's land, but my friend had a general sense of where he was going. The road we were on led us out to the middle of nowhere. We finally stopped and pulled over on top of this big mesa where the road went down in a snake-like pattern. It was nighttime like I said but you could still see a long way off in the distance from our little vantage point including house lights in the distance where the road led. After getting out of the car I walked closer to the edge of this overlook point and started howling and screaming to hear my echo. I did that for a few minutes before I walked to the very edge and looked down. I saw a light from a window just below me, close enough to where I could have thrown a stone and hit it. I distinctly remember the light looking like it was from a candle with a flickering, but definitely wasn't dim like a candle would be. I also recall that the windowsill portion was made of stone and looked like an adobe house. Since I was higher up and at an angle I couldn't see inside the window and I couldn't make out what the house looked like in general. All I saw was a light coming from a window. At that point I turned to my friend and said something like, dude there's a house just right there as I pointed to it. We better get out of here before they call the cops on us for screaming my friend looked over and saw the light from the window too. He laughed and agreed so we both got in his car and split. Nothing spooky or creepy even crossed my mind that night, just that I may have scared someone in their house with my screaming. A few weeks later me and the same friend went cruising around again, but this time during the day. We visited the same area and pulled over to look at the view. I went back to the edge of the mesa and looked over, but to my surprise there was nothing there. Not only was there no sign of the house, 
but a house couldn't have been built there in the first place. It was way too steep and rocky. Just boulders, sand, and weeds. I relayed this info to my friend and he looked over the edge too and that's when we both were like, what the F did we see that night then? My story ends years later when I met and befriended a coworker who lived and grew up on the reservation where that Mesa Overlook was. We began trading scary stories, that guy has some crazy shit he experienced out there, and I told him about seeing the adobe house at night that wasn't there in the daytime. He laughed and said something like, dude you saw the witch house I asked him to explain and he said that the area I was in was known for being a spot that people stay away from at night. Apparently witches hang out there now and then and there is a small adobe house on that cliff side but it's very small. Like something your average person would have to crawl to get into. He doesn't know much more than that, but says he knew plenty of stories of people seeing it lit up at night. So that's my true story about seeing a possible witch house. Just like how skinwalkers are Navajo witches there are other similar witches for other tribes. I don't know the name given to the one I saw, but it's a cool little story to have in my pocket. I was going hunting with a very good friend of mine up to an area that we have hunted a few times before. The area is far up Baker Creek Road past Rainbow Lodge to an area that was recently logged. It was early October just after my 21st birthday. Our day trip was in search of deer and bear. We decided after not being able to see much of anything due to a heavy mist and fog that we would hit a spot that my friend said would be prospective for finding the type of game we were looking for. It was about one-fourth mile from the clear-cut we had just viewed. We had to drive on an old logging road no wider enough for one car. We arrived at the location and got out. I as usual needed to relive some pressure from drinking too much coffee and my friend told me to head directly down to what appeared to be a meadow near a creek. He said he was going to meet me down there by going another direction. I soon found myself on a steep decline down the hill via deer trail. Within five minutes I was at the bottom of the hill and began noticing a musky smell, far more pungent than that of elk and I shrugged it off. I was trying to walk as silent as possible but still managed to crackle the brush as I walked. Off in the distance towards the creek I began to continuously hear limbs snapping and grunting no more than 40 yards away. I thought to myself that this was just my friend tripping over the underbrush and quietly pissing and moaning as he normally does. I got to where I thought was a good spot and just stood there. I kept hearing limbs and twigs snapping and no more than five minutes later had I been hearing this stuff I discovered that my friend was back up by the vehicle and what was in front of me wasn't him. I began getting scared and I hightailed my rear back up to the truck. I decided to light up a cigarette and listen and whatever it was down there was slowly making its way up the hillside slowly away from me. I still travel to the area to this day and still get a very eerie feeling that that thing is still up there watching me. Hi everyone. I have been following this reddit page with Glee for the past few years without any stories of my own. I live in London UK. Anyway I did something different this year and had a holiday of a lifetime in New England and Ontario. Just for background. I hike a lot in the UK. And nearly always by myself. Even though I work full time and live in London I tend to do about 30,000 a week. 
Anyway I took my boots to the USA and had a few hikes round upstate New York. We were obviously on a road trip to we were driving through the White Mountains in New Hampshire. Anyway we were just past Lincoln and taking the long way to Concord when we decided to stop at a shelter on a mountain road. I put my boots on but none of my family fancied it. So I decided to follow what looked like an old trail. There was no trailhead here although I was officially in the White Forest State Park. I kept following aware that my family were still on the road but didn't expect me back for an hour. It got very silent very quickly with what I heard as broken twigs all the time. I felt like something or someone was following me. I couldn't shake the feeling that I was being stalked. Especially as I had seen an old derelict shelter at the start of the trail. Anyway it also dawned on me that I was an ill-prepared Brit with only a penknife to protect myself. I decided to head back but still couldn't shake the weird feeling. New Hampshire did have this hold over me by the way, beautiful but very disconcerting. I was hunting. I shot a deer, late evening hunt, tracked till dark, went to get help. I brought my brother and hunting partner in on the recovery or tracking of the buck. We walked at about 8pm, got down to Navergo Creek. About 1.30 to 2am then up the ridge about 2.30. It was quiet, a light snow fell, and dark duh, we had a good lantern bright out to 50 feet. My brother said SHSHSH, listen you hear that, it's your deer. I can hear it. It sounds like it's still alive duh, I shot the buck with an arrow, a killing shot and believed it to have been gone hours H-E-O.M. My brother said he could hear the deer gasping for air or gargling duh, I listened yet it sounded like a light woofing growling sound IT became louder as we got closer duh, I now could hear it pretty well and was convinced it could possibly be the deer dying. Bummer duh, I asked my brother to hold the lantern up high, he was nervous about going down to the animal, so he stayed with my friend. I thought I would run quickly down to the sound I thought was a deer and die patch it with my hunting knife to I made it to the end of the lamp's light, the darkness erupted in the closest encounter with an unidentified animal, screaming low to I pitch. Very loudly to I turned around and ran for my life to I made it to my brother and friend clutching them and then me. What is that to I said, the animal continued to whoop then scream at US IT circled around and above US IT screamed for a good 5 minutes. While we ran for your lives duh, we came out of the drainage around 5am in the morning duh, we had gotten lost for a short time, for of all fear we had duh, I was sure we were goners. Till this day I'm afraid and can't get out into any mountains for fear of that creature, possibly the Bigfoot. I've hunted, fished, hiked, camped, was a logger and never in 20 years ever experienced anything like this. Not an elk, not a lion, not an owl. About 15 years ago I traveled to Spain with my best friend. We were both around 20 at the time, living the carefree young adult life. You know, just two guys having a great time. We were in a warm country, no carefully filled itinerary whatsoever, just living in the moment, doing whatever we felt like. My friend, who originally came from Spain, still had family there, which made the month-long travel very affordable since they offered us free accommodation, a roof over our head, a working bathroom with fresh showers and three meals a day if we liked. They also gave us a spare key so we could come and go just as we liked. 
During the day we often went swimming to keep us as cool as possible and during the evenings we often explored the city, went for drinks or went to a club. On a certain day, somewhat more to the end of our month-long stay there, the father of our host family, my friend's uncle, took us out for a fishing trip. We had a lot of fun out on the sea, although the trip was cut short because we had a bit too much fun consuming beers. The burning summer sun, too many beers and the wavy feeling of being out on the open sea made for a very bad case of seasickness for both my friend and me. His uncle though it was funny though. After having had an afternoon rest, or as they called it siesta and a very fulfilling late night dinner, we decided to go back out to the beach. We took a couple of cold beers with us, however we didn't take many as we were still feeling a bit crocky from before. It was a beautiful night, open sky, no clouds, little to no light pollution, making the twinkling stars very visible and present. Being on vacation, being young, on a still warm but comfortable summer night with a light breeze and a starry sky, it was the perfect moment to talk about the meaning of life. About what we like to achieve one day, about what was worth it, or what wasn't. If there were any other intelligent life out there, if we would live for another 1000 years or not. The crashing of the waves against the sand of the beach and the rocks was very calming and was lulling us into a meditative state. Only that moment in that place seemed to exist. There was no outside world, no life with responsibilities, no obligations, no expectations, no working hard to get somewhere. It was that moment we noticed something was off. The crashing of the sea against the sand of the beach sounded. Different? Harder? Like something was moving in it? Under the waves a fake shape started to form. As it neared the shoreline it started to get the shape of a dog. We both looked at each other and noticed we had been holding our breaths for about a minute it took the dog to crawl from the sea to the shoreline. The tension broke because we both burst out laughing because we had been so easily startled by something so innocent. But then my friend asked the question that made the newly regained light mood go away in an instant. Where did that dog come from though? There's no one around, and we never saw any dog go into the sea. Neither was there any dog swimming around, it came from under the water. Now that he had worded it like that, it seemed rather curious, and actually that dog seemed pretty big for any existing dog I had ever seen. As it was crawling along the beach, solely illuminated by the first quarter moon, it looked the size of a small horse, but in the shape of a dog or wolf with matted fur. It had very present, bony joints in its knees and elbows and walked a bit awkwardly. My friend and I were debating if we should follow the beast and decided we did actually want to find out what exactly it was. I took out my phone and started to film it. For as far as any 2008 smartphone could film in the dark. By the time we reached the place at the beach where it had left the water, it had already reached the sand dunes and disappeared in it. We saw it had left a track and decided to follow that into the dunes. We weren't prepared for what we saw next though. The beast had left a track in the wet sand in the form of individual hoof prints in a straight line instead of a crisscross pattern as with any four-legged animal. No horse could have walked in such a line, and even though it had looked like the size of a horse it hadn't looked anything like the shape of a horse. Neither were horses aquatic animals. We followed the track to the dunes and went over the first dune when we saw the beast standing about 10 meters from us, in a speck of moonlight. It didn't look anything like a dog either. 
It looked like it had the lower half of a goat and the upper half of something like a werewolf or something. Just, the dimensions were off, the shapes were awkward, it was such a big animal neither of us could place under any existing animal we knew of, with matted fur and bony joints, that had just come out of nowhere from under the water, but clearly could walk and survive on the land as well, that left hoof marks in a straight line. Because we had just stumbled through the bushes closely behind the beast and had given away our presence, it slowly started to turn its head towards us. While it was turning towards us, it stood on its hind legs. Not only was this an animal that came from under the water, as well as could survive on the land and walk on four legs. It could clearly stand and walk very well on two legs as well. The beast gained even more size by standing on its hind legs and must have been around two, five meters big. It stared at us with red glowing eyes. These were not to be mistaken with the eyes of any nocturnal animal with reflective eyes, these were actually glowing from within. I felt stuck in my spot, completely frozen, but luckily my friend who was two steps behind me had the mind to run away and pull me with him. We ran for what felt like an hour, but must have been closer to ten minutes because we reached the house of my friend's family before we knew it. The beast hadn't followed us, or at least not all the way. We went in and told the entire story to his uncle. Of course he thought we must have been still drunk and tired and had seen things that weren't there. But when we showed him the recording, he went pale. He took a shovel, a gun would have been more impressive against a beast like that, but it's not like the average European just has guns lying around, and asked us to show us where we had seen it. We searched for almost two hours, but didn't find the beast again. However we did find the hoof marks, albeit a bit washed up because of the current of the sea. We went back home, trying to make something of what we had just seen, but couldn't. We needed to know what animal we had just seen. We started googling all kind of things. Of course with the lower half of the beast looking like a goat, we stumbled upon a lot of myths about the devil, which we discarded. We had seen an actual life beast that wasn't known by humanity yet and wanted to know if any other people had ever seen anything like it. It was only when we googled hoof marks one straight line that we stumbled upon the term the devil's footprints. So it was an actual thing, or at least something that had supposedly been seen before according to myths and stories. But they must have had some truth to them since they described exactly what we had just seen with our own eyes. The few days we had left in Spain, we spent our nights out with my friend's uncle trying to find the beast again, but to no purpose, as we never saw it again. When I came home a few days later I saved the recording on my hard drive, not sure what to do with it yet. I didn't want to be the crazy guy that had seen the devil, because I still don't believe I did. I just want to know what animal this was and how come we haven't documented this beast yet. I tried to forget about it but couldn't and a year later I decided I wanted to publish the recording in the hope anyone could make any sense of what we had seen that night. The uncle of my friend hadn't seen the beast in all that time and had asked around in the town if anyone had ever seen it, which they didn't. I had switched phones by then, but luckily I had the recording saved on my desktop, where I had replayed it at least a thousand times. I booted up my desktop and something was wrong. I had to restart my desktop a couple of times and after booting it up in safe mode I got the message my hard drive had crashed. I tried whatever was possible to try, but I couldn't recover the recording in any way. 
Fifteen years later, I'm still breaking my head over what the beast we encountered could have been, but by now it's a story my friends believe to be for making conversation. Only that friend and his uncle are still branded by the experience as well. My friend even took it so far to go live in Spain again, near the beach where it all happened and still continues to actively look for the beast to this day. Maybe one day he'll find it.